In ancient China, a battle rages on, and a general comes up with a daring maneuver. And then we travel to Athens, Georgia, to take a look at the portal to hell and a staircase that leads nowhere. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Don't forget, Thanksgiving, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we're going to do a live stream episode on YouTube, a totally live episode. I'm going to be on a little bit earlier to talk to you guys. After the episode, we'll continue to, the conversation, answer any questions, just kind of chat. If you guys don't go to the YouTube, don't worry. I'm going to upload that as a podcast episode later than night on Thursday. And then I'm not going to do an episode on Friday. That's going to be a little break. Because those live episodes take a lot out of me, honestly. It takes a lot to sit in front of a webcam. It takes a lot to have to talk and know you're not going to be able to edit it, is what it is. It's, it's kind of draining as a performer. But I liked spending that time with you. And we did it last Thanksgiving. It was totally awesome. And I know this Thanksgiving, it's even... <laughs> I don't. It's so important. I don't even have to pronounce the G at the end. This Thanksgiving, not everyone can be with their family. So let's be a family together and tune into that live stream. Or listen to it later. But um, I'm sure or maybe you have a family that loves you. And you can spend time with them. Still listen to the, listen to the episode. But speaking of someone who does love you, let's give a round of applause to our newest Patreon supporter, Kim Sorah. Kim Sorah's walking in. She's blowing kisses to everyone. Oh, you caught one. Oh, that's pretty cute. Kim, you're going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That is a way you can also help out the show. So I turn around and Kim Sorah already has a patch and a peg leg and like a bird. I don't know. I don't know how she snuck in with all this stuff, but she's in full pirate gear and that's perfect. Because we are taking the dead rabbit dreadnought. So let's get her in the captain's perch. And we are all sitting on the uh, the the wood. We're all just sitting on the wood of the ship as it sets sail to ancient China. We have to have a warship because we are headed into a battle zone. So everyone's sharpening their knives the whole time. Getting ready, making shields, tearing the boat, tearing the wood of the boat apart. They're like, look, and I made a bunch of shields as we're sinking. But it's okay, we're almost there. Now, I found out about this story from Noise Poetry. So I wanted to give a shout out to Noise Poetry for bringing this story to my attention. That's really, really awesome. The year is 623 AD. And then like Zack Snyder rock music starts playing. And you're like, Jason, explain the scene first. Just don't make grunting noises and then add a soundtrack. What it is, it's old timey. So it's all like sepia tone, but like red and stuff because you know there's the sun and it's a it's a army of nomads coming over the hills now you guys get the visual right oh they're moving all slow general's like dude quit, quit running in slow motion we got a battle to fight these are members of the tuyun kingdom and they've had their eyes on the gansu province and they're ready to take it these no i don't know why nomads have a kingdom but <laughs> the kingdom constantly moves the castle they're like where do we put the castle It's over there now. This army of nomads lay siege to the Gansu province. Now, the Gansu province was territory of the Tang dynasty. And the emperor's sitting back at home, and he's like, Hey, did you hear that rock music? (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure we're getting invaded. I heard rock music. And the generals are like, Yeah, we heard that too. It's pretty bitchin'. So the emperor sends out General Chai Shao 
to go there, to go to Gansu and say, you're a really good general, you can kind of think outside the box. General Chai takes his army out to meet them at Gansu province. But see, the nomads have been there for so long, and it's kind of a hilly area, that when the Tang troops get there, they're just getting picked off by arrows. The nomads have a high ground, they got a whole bunch of arrows, they prepared for this. They didn't just bring one that they were recycling, they prepared for this. So they're just picking off troops constantly, and General Chai is like, okay. He goes, I need to take that hill, but it's pretty well defended. I got all these men here, but I think I'm going to need to send in a special strike team. Some time passes. And the nomads are on the top of the hill. They got their arrows ready. They're waiting for these troops to make another move. But the troops aren't making a move. Instead, an elite task force of only three soldiers are moving behind enemy lines. As the nomads are in their battle formation, just in case the Tang forces advance again. Behind them, they hear... And they're like... Okay, that's not a joke. That's not a Zack Snyder joke. That's actual music playing. And a couple of the nomads turn around to see where the music's coming from. And on a hill overlooking the nomad camp are three figures. One of them has a little guitar. Technically, it's called a pipa. But if you get it, it's a stringed instrument. But that's not what's keeping the nomads' attention. Nomads like, hey, look at, look what's up on that hill. And another guy turns around and is like, oh my god. Because what is on the top of the hill is not only a dude with a pipa, but two super hot chicks dancing sexy. They're all rubbing up on each other. They're get- I'm not making that up to be salacious either. They were doing an erotic dance with each other. To the sound of... You might have had a better tune than that. The nomads see these two hot women bumping and grinding. A dude with a little guitar playing a song. And they're absolutely mesmerized by the beauty, the sheer eroticism of this moment. And in that moment, you're kind of lost, right? Maybe you haven't seen a woman in 30 years. You're a nomad. You keep forgetting where you put the women. But as you're watching these women, you start to hear noises. You start to hear noises about 4,000 men behind you. It seems to get a little closer. You're still mesmerized by this awesome sight you're seeing. Maybe about 800 men behind you. Stop looking at Pay attention. No, no, the people are still watching this. General Chai slaughtered. 500 men because the majority of them were staring at hot chicks now there was more than 500 men there he just that's all he could do he's he's like oh my arm's cramping up guys let's take a break we should have stretched before this massacre the rest of them ran away i would be furious dude first off i'd be furious that i was so far back in the crowd i couldn't see the girls i just see two kind of like feminine-shaped, blurry objects. I'm like, is that a mirage? Are those two palm trees, like, knocking up against each other in the wind? I'd be mad that I don't have a good front seat view. Secondly, I'd be mad that as as the arrow is going through my neck, I see the guys in front of me still, still, still hanging out with these chicks, still trying to get their phone number, still trying to invent a phone and the number system just so they can get their phone number. I'd be super mad that my compatriots, my countrymen, were so thirsty 
that 500 dudes got killed, and then the rest just ran away. So that is the story of General Chai and his ultimate secret weapon. They should use this in war more often. But here's my question. When I was telling this story, I kind of paused. Did he bring the two hot chicks with him? Like, was General Chai lead this army out into the middle of nowhere, out to Gansu province? Sorry if you live there. I'm sure it's a lovely place. I heard they have great entertainment, but he's leading this army out there, and the whole time, like, his sergeants are like, dude, we are well-stocked for the war, and General Chai's like, yes. The sergeant's like, but I do have a question about them. And on the horse next to him, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and these two chicks are dancing on the horse. And General Chai's like, listen, I don't know. I might need them. I might not. We may get there. The nomads may not be prepared. We take them by surprise. Or they could be on a hill shooting arrows at us. The sergeant's like, that's a, that's a weird contingency plan. But that is why he was a general and the other guy was a sergeant. He could think two steps ahead. Kim, so raw. Let's go ahead and hop in the carboner copter. We're going to get you in the pilot seat of that. You're still wearing your pirate costume. Might be a little, <laughs> little hard with a patch in your eye to fly an advanced helicopter. But I'm sure you will do a great job. We are leaving behind Gansu province in China. We are headed out to Athens, Georgia. It's a long trip. The whole time I'm practicing my dance moves, I'm making you play a guitar. You're like, my fingers are bleeding. I'm dancing in front of you. Come on, man, keep dancing. Is this distracting you? Is this? You're like, yeah, it's annoying me is what it's doing. We're flying out to Athens, Georgia, and I want you to fly over there. And I'm kind of pointing out the helicopters. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still wiggling. I'm still wiggling. I want you to fly over there. And we're flying over, and we see in Georgia, off the Atlanta highway, is a Hobby Lobby. And standing outside that store is a young man named Tyler. Now, I recently had an interview. I recently was interviewed by a journalist about podcasts and how they find sources, how they verify sources, how they cite sources. It was a kind of behind-the-scenes podcasting thing like that, ethics in sourcing. And Tyler was the one who's writing that article and interviewed me with that. He posted that on Reddit looking for interviews, so I went through his Reddit history because I think that's kind of what everyone does. And I saw that he also had posted about something known as the Portal of Hell. So I said, tell you what, young man, I'll make you a trade. I will do your interview for you, but I want to hear your story about the Portal of Hell. So as we're flying over this location in Georgia, we see Tyler waving at us, and Kim So Ra's getting ready to land, and I'm like, no, 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 we're not actually going to land on this story. Just kind of hover here, and Tyler, Tyler's like shucking his shoulders down there. This is an interesting story, but I don't really want to go too in-depth to it, but it's a good gateway for our next story. So we're just going to leave Tyler hanging out down there. He packed a lunch. He packed a whole picnic for us. In Georgia, off the Atlanta Highway, there is a location known as the Portal of Hell, or Hell's Gate. It's behind the Hobby Lobby. Oh, no, 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 no. It's actually behind Beach Haven Baptist Church. Or does it exist at all? This is an interesting story, but it's just a little bite-sized story. There's an old spooky house in this area. That was built in 1910, and supposedly, and I read this, I read a bunch of sources on this, Tyler told me a version of this story, I read other versions of this story, there's an altar in the backyard, there's rumors of Satan worshippers, KKK members running the house, there's a naked guy on a horse, which puts the other two groups to shame, right? Like Satanists, yeah, you know, whatever, the little cliche, KKK, again, a little cliche, naked guy on a horse, that's pretty dope. You can touch a tree out there, it bleeds. The, the reason why we're not landing for this story is because this is a typical urban legend in a town. A spooky house 
in a location off the beaten track. So it's not at the Hobby Lobby. You don't walk into Hobby Lobby and it's there. It's like behind the Hobby Lobby. And even the fact that they can't really agree on, because I read a bunch of different sources on this, they can't agree on the location, also adds the idea that this is probably a story crafted around a location than a location having a story organically. But every neighborhood has one of these houses. Every neighborhood has the spooky house. What's interesting about this house is two things. One, it's very well known. If I tried finding spooky houses in my hometown or your hometown or whatever, unless it's Amityville, you're going to have a hard time finding a lot of resources on this. There were so many resources on the portal of hell in Georgia that there was enough to start contradicting each other. All these different legends people had heard growing up, they're posting them on Reddit, they're posting them on these websites. So I thought that was interesting. Normally, they don't get so famous. They have multiple mentions across the websites. But then something else is going on, and Tyler keyed me in on this, and when he was talking about it, my eyebrow kind of raised. The house is now private property, and they're going to demolish it or renovate the entire area to build some sort of park to preserve the area. And the reason why that raised my eyebrow, it's probably the same reason why it should have raised your eyebrow. We've talked about this a lot of times on the show. Places that have a reputation for being haunted, being purchased by the local government, or a group of outside interests, like the Dark Entity or the Dark Entity Association, bought that place in Connecticut. We've seen this happen several times. The U.S. government built a base around the hole that Charles Manson was going to go in after Helter Skelter, which he believed led to paradise under Earth. There's a lot of different examples where these places that are supposedly haunted or have some sort of power, the government buys it up. And they are looking at this. I saw that they are, they did fill out like budgetary concerns to do all this stuff. But I wouldn't be surprised if this goes on for years and years and years and they never do anything with the area. And it's just a cordoned off area that they can say, oh, no trespassing. This is actually county property. We're going to be building something here. It's not safe. And they just keep it that way for 10, 15, 20 years, and the legend grows. Which would make me think that there may be something actually behind the portal of hell as far as a paranormal activity goes. Or you have government officials who just like riding in their horses naked, and that's the safest place to do it. Listen to that. You want to know what's shocking, though, outside of saint worshippers riding horses naked, to fix this area up for a park, $13 million. If you gave me $13 million, I would give every person in Georgia a piggyback ride. That's funner than a park. Now, Kim, go ahead and pick up Tyler. Put him in the carpenter copter. He has a picnic lunch ready for us. We are headed out to a truly terrifying story in Athens, Georgia. <laughs> Pretty sure the portal of hell was on the outskirts of Athens, Georgia. I don't think it was in the city proper. But now we are actually in Athens, Georgia. We're headed to the University of Georgia. So I hope you guys brought your school books. Hope you guys brought your scantrons. We all hop out of the carpenter copter. We're walking around University of Georgia. This was the other story Tyler told me. And this was one that, again, had a ton of sources on. He's a really good source of information for this type of stuff. Really, really weird one. We're going to let Kim lead the way, though. We're going to let Kim lead the way with a flashlight. We're walking through the darkness. We're sneaking onto campus. It's night. We're headed to Joe Brown Hall. Open the door. It's all spooky. Actually, the hall is not spooky itself. It's just one part of it. I'm sure the door is automated. But anyways, we're walking through Joe Brown Hall. Joe Brown Hall, just another building on campus. Dorm rooms, teacher's offices. There's a little debate about that. 
We'll put a pin in that for right now, but it's a typical college building. Now, according to Carol Bishop, she's the archival assistant of the Special Collections Library, and she also runs a ghost tour here at University of Georgia. In 1971, Thanksgiving break. Ooh, I didn't realize it's super close. Ooh, there's a student. He's the only one in the dorms. Everyone else has gone for student break. He wanted to stay home and play Pong or something. Whatever you did back in 1971 for fun. Just sit there inanimate. That's what they love to do. But something went wrong, deadly wrong, because after Thanksgiving break, people come back. They're like, oh, that was so good. I ate all that turkey. They're walking into school, and there is this student, this nameless student, hanging in his dorm room. Super gross, right? He'd been hanging for three or four days, and when the janitors came, everyone's like, oh, man, I just say Thanksgiving. Blah, throwing it up. Stovetop stuffing everywhere. The janitors come in, the cleaning crew comes in, and they said it was so gross and so gory that no matter how much they tried cleaning up the blood, cleaning up the body fluids, all this stuff, they could never get all the stains out. They couldn't get the smell out because it had been three days. Hold your questions, guys. Hold your questions. It had been three whole days, according to Carol Bishop, or maybe five. Doesn't matter. It was so stinky that they just said, we can't do this anymore. So the doorway to his dorm room, they walled in. But there's a curious little reminder of this story. There's actually a staircase in Joe Brown Hall that dead ends to a wall. That is the story of the staircase to nowhere. Or is it? No, it's not. There's more to the story. There's more to the story. Because I'll tell you this right now. Body, I used to work at a crematory. Bodies can start smelling. Bodies will smell after five days. and They'll get all gory and goopy and stuff like that. But not to the point that you couldn't clean them up. Like, unless they had... It was the 70s. Maybe they had really thick shag carpet. But I'm going to bet dollars to donuts that you could clean up five-day-old gore. I, I, I'd almost be certain of that. I'm not saying it would be the place people would want to live in their dorm room. Yippee! I got the tragedy room. But you could do it. If you had your choice between eliminating a room and walling it up and plastering it over or just spending a weekend scrubbing and ripping out carpet and tile and stuff like that, it doesn't make sense. But that's why that story actually is not true. That story is not true. There's another version of the story that I found multiple times online. There was a police cadet at the time. He was working at the police academy, and one of the things they do to the new... Cadets is they make them look at really gross photos. Make them look at like people popping pimples. People pulling slivers out underneath their fingernails. And the cops are like, oh, this is disgusting. Does this have anything to do with their job? The chief's like, no. I just have a fetish for watching young men have disgusting looks on their faces. That's my thing. He says that an unknown year. He said, I don't remember the year it happened. I remember seeing the photos and I remember being told this story. It was late... Summer, it was around August, was this guy's story. There was a professor who had a staircase that led right into his office in Joe Brown Hall. He was also an avid fan of autoerotic asphyxiation. So if you don't know what that is, it's where you hang yourself. You don't have to hang yourself, but it's where you cut off the supply of oxygen to your brain as you're masturbating. And then right before you uh, orgasm, for lack of a better word, there's a lot of words. I don't have a lack of a word, but in polite company, right before you orgasm, you stop choking yourself and the blood goes back into your brain. And it's this supposedly amazing rush. I never tried it. Uh, It should be evident I'm still alive. It's super dangerous. It can kill you. 
and maybe you just start off using your hand, but eventually it's August of an unknown year and you're tying a noose because that's how a lot of people do it. That's how the lead singer of NXS died. That's how Kung Fu died. Uh, David Carradine. You have, it's super dangerous. So the idea is this professor really loved autoerotic asphyxiation and he messed up and he hung there for anywhere from a few weeks to a full month. Now we're cooking with, with bodily fluids, right? After a couple weeks, you're going to have a really hard time getting that smell out. You're going to have a really, really hard time getting that smell out. I mean, again, five days isn't going to be easy. I'm not going to be like, what? No, what? They can happen here. It doesn't smell so bad. As it sits and it soaks and it gets all gory and more elements of the decay are coming in and the blood turns black and all that stuff. It gets super, super thick. He basically was melt. It was like if you were holding a popsicle on a rope on a hot day. You probably didn't need that visual, but he was just melting out of the noose. So it's Georgia summers. So it's getting extra boiling in there. You guys like Dan Jason? I'm eating a pot pie right now. Can you stop talking about this? Okay, sure, sure. And so for there's no way they were gonna get that smell out. They tried over and over again. This cop said he had actually heard that they sent in firefighters with scuba tanks on, and even they were throwing up, which would be hilarious to watch a man in a scuba tank throw up. Hopefully it was one of those big old timey ones with like the glass viewpoint, the big ball heading, you just see it filling up with, with puke. You're like, Jason, I'm still eating my pot. <laughs> I'm still eating my pot pie. Sorry. I should think we're done. So anyways, that was that story. And I've seen that story go around as well. Now, what's interesting is there are parts of the story that are true. With The, the main part of the story like the, the portal to hell, people can't even really agree where the building's at. Joe Brown Hall does have a staircase that leads to nowhere. It leads to a dead end. And I'll actually post the photo on my Twitter and my Instagram because I want you guys to see it. Somebody painted an infinite doorway on the wall. It's really cool looking. So it's like you get to the top of the stairs and you're just looking down infinity. It's that, what is it, the Kruger effect or something like that where you can see the image keep getting reflected farther and farther down. Really cool. It's true. There is a staircase leading to a wall. Your mind thinks, obviously, that's not a design quirk. There must have been something behind that wall. But you're hearing the story about the student who, in the version that I read from Carol, it wasn't implied that it was autoerotic asphyxiation. It wasn't specifically stated as suicide either, so maybe she was keeping it clean for the students. The police cadet goes, oh no, the dude was checking off. But the big difference was it was a professor in his office and it was in August, in this hot August sun for weeks or a month. The other one was a cold Georgia Thanksgiving break. Let's give a shout out to PHP Apple and Gaius Julius Kaiser. They actually did a lot of digging on this. They were posting this on Reddit. Really found the truth behind this story. March 2nd, 1972. They found the article. They found the exact date that will tell us what happened behind that wall. 26-year-old University of Georgia student Stanley Park Haddock hung himself in his dorm room. He'd only been up there for a few days. But the reason why the cops don't think it was a suicide was because his pants were down around his ankles. So they're looking at it and they're going, this is weird. This is super weird. Like we've seen it before, autorock asphyxiation happens. But it's also possible that maybe he hated pants. He hated pants so he wanted to take him off and commit suicide. But there is an odd clue in this story. And when Tyler told me it, I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't say that. I didn't say that to him. 
He's like, and then they found, and I was, I was like, what? Well, I'm thinking, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? But when I read it in context, I was like, oh, okay, now I know what Tyler was trying to say. Not only did they find a, a dead man hanging with his pants around his ankles, they found donuts. I was like, what? who cares if they found donuts, right? But apparently this was the clue. This is, this is why I'm not a police officer. When the police walked in, they found this guy hanging with his pants around his ankles. They found fresh donuts. Well, they were fresh when he bought them five days ago, but they found don't like new donuts. And they're, they're so funny. This is what the cops thought. And this is true. They thought no one would ever buy fresh donuts and then kill themselves because donuts are hands down the most delicious food out there. There is no one on earth who would come home with a dozen donuts, set them down and goes, now my story is over. The saga of me comes to an end. You'd eat the donuts and then you'd feel better and then everything in life would go on. That was their clue. The pants around the ankles, you could figure out, I don't know, maybe he, was, maybe he borrowed his big brother's jeans, but the donuts... The brand new donuts made them think that he had actually accidentally killed himself doing an autoerotic asphyxiation. It's tragic. I think it's an interesting story, and we are we're each walking out of there with a donut. Stanley's looking down on us as a ghost. He's waving to us. He's eating ghost donuts. So everything worked out okay. But as we're walking down the staircase and we're eating donuts, something still doesn't sit right with me with this story. Even though this is a true story. I don't think that's what's behind the wall. Hear me out. Nowhere in that article that I read did they say, and then the maintenance crew sealed up his dorm room. No one would ever get in there again. They just said on March 2nd, which again, very good weather. You're not going to have massive levels of super stinky decay. Again, I'm not saying I'm not saying you want a dead body in your house for five days. What I'm saying is that's not a level where you would never be able to clean it out. Nowhere in the article does it say that they sealed it up. This is my theory. That yes, that story is true. That Stanley did have a horrible accident and accidentally killed himself. But I don't think that's what's behind that wall up that staircase. Because I've been to a lot of dorm rooms in my life. And I've never seen one that has a staircase for a single room. I mean, that you got to be like cock of the block if you're like, see you guys later, you're walking up the stairs to your room. That doesn't make sense. And what's interesting is when Tyler first told me this story, he said, and I may be misquoting him, but I believe this is what I heard. He said that behind that walled up door is an entire hallway, which I would think would imply there's other multiple rooms back there. That makes sense. The idea of a stairway going to just one room you have an entire floor dedicated to one room? It doesn't make sense. I think that the story of Stanley is true, and that story's been transported to answer the mystery of what that staircase leads to. When in fact, that's not true. Now, Stanley's room could have been one of the several rooms in that hall. But if you have one room that's super stinky, and as a college, you want to maximize the people on your campus... Are you going to shut down an entire floor, half a floor, a wing, because one room's super stinky? Give them a discount. Give those kids a discount. You'd figure a way to take care of that without shutting off access to an entire wing. There's no way that door only leads to one room. It doesn't make sense from a design standpoint. They wouldn't shut all those rooms down just because it stank. They definitely want to keep it shut down all this time. 
This happened back in 1972. You can get out smell. You can wipe away gore. You can clean up messes. But let's put on our conspiracy caps here and wrap the episode up like this. One thing that's hard to get rid of is paranormal activity. Exorcist or not, sage, cleansings, anything like that, salt. If something's powerful enough, if something wants to stay long enough, it's not going to leave. Someone complains about the smell, you can cover up the smell. Someone wakes up in the middle of the night, and there's a 24-year-old man standing at the foot of their bed. How do you deal with that complaint? Some kid's doing his homework late at night, has his headphones on, and starts to feel like something's different in the room, and doesn't realize that just inches behind him, there's a face staring at the back of his head. In the shower room, you think you're alone until you hear wet footsteps walking behind you. These are things that no cleanup crew can take care of. And that would be a reason why you would seal off an entire wing. So if you ever find yourself in Athens, Georgia, I dare you to try to find out what's behind that bricked up door. Sure, there's another access point. A window you can scurry through. A heating, heating vent. If you're John McClane, you can pop through the heating vent. And you'll find yourself in a darkened hallway that no living human has been in for almost 50 years. Sealed off from the world. Moonlight coming in through a window that people have not glanced out of for decades. And while you're in this dark hallway, you have your sage, you have your crucifix, you're ready for anything. But then you smell a familiar smell. A smell that reminds you of happiness. You turn around and see a box of fresh donuts sitting in the darkness in front of you. You know your time is up. You know that this spirit is about to take you into the shadow realm. But, at least, before you die, you you get to eat a donut. You get to eat a ghost donut, and then you die. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.